0: Feels good, doesn't it? Actually, I did a wedding for Dan Freeland yesterday. We were going to have it out in the orchards, and it came down. (laughs) And so we got all into this barn, and Dan's like, what are we going to do? And I said, we're just going to wing it and have a great time, and that's that's what we're going to do today with this sermon. We're just going to have a great time, because this is a great story. It is a story in the Bible that I'm sure has been told more than any other story, besides the Christmas story. It's a story you as a kid probably were fascinated by. It's a story of a little boy, really he's about 16, 15, 16, a large giant, and a slingshot. And that's what we're gonna find in 1 Samuel 17, the story of David and Goliath. And not claimation, David and Goliath, the real story. The real story. Not Davy, Davy and Goliath. My mom's funny lady, actually, my, my son had a birthday this past week. And she likes to get strange little gifts. So we opened up the package for my son and out was a boomerang. Because we used to throw boomerangs all the time. And we threw the boomerang in the front yard and we hit a couple neighbors. Sorry, Linda Gleason. And it got stuck in the tree a couple times. My mom always had a penchant for buying her sons and grandsons odd primitive weapons. I mean, all the time. One day she came home from the we had a pharmacy called Avalon pharmacy and she gave me almost almost identical slingshot like this you know a nice plastic slingshot and she said just don't shoot people or squirrels that was a bad thing to say because i said let me try out in the backyard because we had tons of rocks and i took a slingshot and i went in the backyard see if i can hit Cher rawson with this thing and then i took that slingshot And I I shot rocks just like that. Thanks, Luke. And I was thinking, as as a little kid, I was thinking, you know what, I've heard the story of David and Goliath. How can a slingshot kill a giant? I really thought it was one of the silliest stories ever. And it's all from really what Luke just exhibited for him. I can throw a rock farther than that. How can a slingshot kill a giant? That's what we're going to find out today. We're going to actually find out how to use a slingshot. And we are going to learn five steps for killing a giant with a slingshot found in 1 Samuel 17. We're going to begin by reading the first 11 verses, just to get the context. And I am not assuming you've ever read this, so we're going to read it. And as we read it, jump into it. Act like you're a bystander sitting behind a bush watching this go on. Verse 1, now the Philistines gathered their armies for battle. They were gathered at Succa, which belongs to Judah, and encamped between Succa and Azekah in Ephes Damim. And Saul and the men of Israel were gathered and encamped in the valley of Elah, and drew up in a line of battle against the Philistines. And the Philistines stood on the mountain on one side, and Israel stood on the mountain on the other side, with a valley between them. And there came out from the camp of the Philistines a champion named Goliath of Gath, whose height was six cubits in a span, which is nine feet, nine inches tall. He had a helmet of bronze on his head, and he was armed with a coat of mail. The weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels of bronze, which is about 127 pounds. He had a bronze armor on his leg and a javelin of bronze that slung between his shoulders, The shaft of his spear was like a weaver's beam, and his spear's head weighed 600 shekels of iron, which is 15 pounds. He stood and he shouted to the ranks of Israel, Why have you come out to draw up for battle? More of a Schwarzenegger flavor. Am I not a Philistine, and are you not servants of Saul? Choose a man for yourselves, and let him come down to me. If he's able to fight with me and kill me, then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall be our servants and serve us. And you can probably hear him go, ha, 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 ha like that. I'm sure it said that. Verse 10. And the Philistine said, I defy the ranks of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. When Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. So, that is the context. We have one army up on a hillside. Actually, they're away from the coast. That would be Israel. And they're bunkered up in holes up in this arid mountain region on the hills of Judea, going up to Jerusalem. There's a valley called Elah. And on the other side of the Philistines, and then they send out a champion named Goliath, who's nine feet, nine inches tall, glittering in bronze, calling out them to send a champion, because they would say back in the ancient days, often they would have one champion fight for the nation. Whoever won that nation won for the day. That's what's going on. I know you've heard the story, and I know to you this story is the story of just an unbeatable foe versus a tiny boy. What a disadvantage. And it's sort of been told how we overcome monster mountains that we thought we could never overcome. That's partially true, but I think the story is a little bit different. Actually doing research, I think we're going to see this is more about how to use your sling than it is about the mountain to be scared of. We're going to give you five five points of how to use your sling. And as you're sitting there, you're probably not believing you have a sling, but you do have a slingshot. God gave every one of you your own slingshot. And by that, let me use it as a metaphor. A slingshot is the gift that God has given you, the talent God has given you. Maybe it's your time, it's your ability, it's your dream that God has put into your heart, it's your conviction. That's your slingshot that he has given you to overcome the obstacle to do what God has called you to do or reach the goal God has called you to reach or live the life God wants you to live. You are to use this slingshot to overcome the obstacle to get there. That's what I'm using by the idea of slingshot. And also, most of you in your mind, when you look in the mirror or when you consider your abilities or you consider your opportunities, Many of you think you're just too small to overcome your obstacles. When you look to the future and you think, I don't know if I'll be able to make it. I don't think I have what it takes. That's the point of this story. So how do we use the slingshot? David's going to show us. Number one, here's the first thing you do. Step one in using a slingshot. And this is, in my mind, the most important step. Listen closely. Here it is. I'm going to put them up here so it's clear as crystal. Giving into fear, giving into fear, stops you from getting out your slingshot. Giving into fear stops you from getting out your slingshot. In this case, Goliath is 9 feet 9, glazed, bronzed monster. And it says in verse 11, they were terrified. Let's keep reading. Verse 12. Now David was the son of an Ephrathite of Bethlehem and Judah named Jesse, who had eight sons. In the, name of Saul, the days of Saul, the man was already old and advanced in years. The three oldest sons of Jesse had followed Saul to battle. The names of his three sons who went to battle were Eliab. And Eliab, actually, the first time Samuel saw him, man, he was a big guy. He was a big guy but a coward. Next to him, Abinadab third Shammah. David was the youngest. The three eldest followed Saul. But David went back and forth from Saul to feed his father's sheep at Bethlehem. For 40 days, the Philistine came forward and took his stand, morning and evening. So this guy would come down to the middle of the valley 40 straight days, twice a day. Verse 17, And Jesse said to David, his son, Take for your brothers and Ephath of this parched grain and These ten loaves and carrying them quickly to camp to your brothers. So he had to keep bringing them basically sustenance to fight. They were there 40 days. They needed food. Verse 18, take these ten cheeses to the commander of the thousands, see if your brothers are well, and bring them some token from them. Now Saul and they all and the men of Israel were in the valley of Elah, fighting with the Philistines. And David rose early in the morning and left the sheep with a keeper, and took the provisions and went as Jesse had commanded him. So he's a shepherd, not that important, regular job, while his fierce brothers are out fighting. He came to the encampment as the host was going out to the battle line, shouting the war cry. And Israel and the Philistines drew up for battle. So they all got in their army line, they're all walking forward, and like Braveheart, they're all like, Hey! It's the battle cry. And then they send out Goliath. And David left the things and charged the keeper of the baggage and ran to the ranks and went and greeted his brothers. He wanted to see really what's going on. Verse 23, as he talked with them, behold, the champion, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, came up out of the ranks of the Philistines and spoke those same words. And David heard him. And look at verse 24, all the men of Israel, when they saw the man, they fled from him and they were much afraid. So they went out to battle to fight. They knew he would come out. Why would they come? Why would they keep raising a battle cry? He comes out. Oh, and they get scared again. They did it forty days straight. Fear immobilized them. I'm going to uh, kind of go off topic a little bit. Not. I mean, it's on topic. But I have. I want to spec. I've been studying this. I listened to a TED talk by Malcolm Gladwell, and I've. I don't think this is as much about fighting as it is about fear. Do you know fear causes you to quit? Causes all of us to quit. Some of us have never even used our talents. We don't take leads on things. We don't start Bible studies. We don't initiate friendships. We don't speak to our coworkers about Christ, not because we can't, but because we're scared to death. Fear immobilizes us. It stops us dead in our tracks. I believe, and I want you to listen very closely, I believe that fear has one weapon, one major weapon. And that weapon is intimidation. Intimidation is a mental disease. Not a physical disease, it's a mental disease. It's where I really don't believe I have anything on my side. I see the problem, and it becomes a giant, and I just quit. I quit. I quit. I believe, I'm going to speculate. Here's my my speculation. It's my conjecture, based on studying and doing some research. I believe Goliath didn't come to fight. I think Goliath came to just keep Israel from fighting. Goliath came to intimidate, not to fight. Here's why. I'll give you four reasons. Number one, if you read chapter 14... Jonathan, with his armor-bearer, beat a whole platoon or a battalion, and then they went out and fought against the Philistines, and God had the Philistines kill each other. It was a crazy battle. A little bit later in chapter 14, it says the Philistines kept attacking Saul, and Saul kept routing them. It uses the word routing, means pummeled them. So if you, by experience, chapter 14, the Philistines, they lost every time. Second speculation. Do you know, like some people say, all David had was a slingshot? Wait a minute. Do you know what a slingshot really was? i got a video for you. I want you to watch this video. If you notice, there's a target in the back. This guy just practiced for a day. That's all. You put together a slingshot like David. And there's a little block in the back, 70 feet away. First one, he misses. Gets another rock. Second one, and he only practiced for a day. Third one, smashes that thing. If that hits you in the skull, it'd do some major damage. So actually, this Malcolm Gladwell did some research. He said, basically, the sling was a regular weapon in those days. Hunters would use slings to knock falcons and hawks out of the sky. He said the graphite stones that were in the same area in the Valley of Elah, with the velocity of twirling the strings and letting the rock go, it had the same stopping power, not speed, but stopping power as a forty five revolver stopping power. It means it could drop you like that. So the sling was not just a sling. It was a major weapon. That's the second reason. It's not this little boy's tool. This is what kills us. I think this is what kills us about how we read the Bible. We read the Bible with our vision, not with what really happened. We often discount it. Third thing. When ancient armies went into battle, they had three different, what I would say, kind of platoons or Groups. Group number one is cavalry. Cavalry is what? Horses. Second is hand-to-hand combat. That's where they'd fight hand-to-hand, close up. Third is the artillery, which is slings and arrows. Imagine you're fighting in the Civil War and you fought the Civil War battle. Would you rather use a bayonet or would you rather use a rifle with five rounds? Probably a rifle with five rounds. And there's some, if you notice in verse 40, we're going to see he picked up five stones. Scholars like to say, well, it's because he had four other brothers. I don't. Okay, he did. It says he has four other brothers. I think he picked up five stones so he could have more ammunition. We like to think, ooh, that was good research, Pastor, five other brothers. I don't think that's what it was. My first one, again, is, I gave you the first one. They, They really had superior force over. Philistines. Number two, the sling is not just a weapon. It is a vicious weapon. Third thing is because David is artillery fighting hand-to-hand combat, which Goliath was. And here's the fourth thing. This is very interesting. Why was Goliath nine feet nine inches tall? Two speculations. One, he's the son of the Nephilim. Genesis 6, the angels of God came down with women of earth or the daughters of man and had these giants of men. So some people really say, well, they're the offspring of the giants. Other researchers will say, well, he had gigantism. Gigantism is where you have a lump on one of the hormones, and it causes you to have excessive height. If you ever watched The Princess Bride, Andre the Giant had that problem. Some people think Abraham Lincoln had that problem. Listen to what some researchers say about gigantism. Many of those who have been identified with gigantism over the years have suffered from multiple health issues involving their circulatory or skeletal systems, as the strain of maintaining a large, heavy body places abnormal demands on both the bones and the heart. People with this disease are not swift, nor are they agile. So, let's say Goliath had gigantism. He's probably not swift or agile. He wants you to come up close, fight him hand to hand. David had the advantage with the sling. Why wouldn't he have a helmet that covered the whole thing? Because he's there to intimidate, not to fight. Let me give you an illustration, Doug. You'll understand this. Rocket football. Rocket football, you get some big kids that play rocket football. Usually in rocket football, sometimes you have really big kids. And oftentimes, those really big kids, they run 10 yards and they're exhausted. They're really not that good. Doug, you know what I'm talking about? And often they can't play because they're overweight. But when you put pads on them and you put a helmet on them, they are the ones you bring out to flip the coin. Yes. Yeah, you run, yeah, you run, you run around the other team with them lead. Why? To strike fear. Here's my conclusion on what this point is. This was not a fair fight. David had every advantage, and he had one more asset on his side. It goes something like this. See if you can help me. If God is for us, here's my conclusion. The story is about fear, not strength. Most fear, fear is that intimidation in your brain that's stopping you, is not what it seems to be. Put it like this. People quit, not because of the reality, but because of their unsanctified imaginations. Their mind is unsanctified. What that means is they really don't believe God. So we quit. We don't use our gifts, our talents, our abilities, our resources, and we go back to our couches and we watch another series of Netflix. Number two, how do you use your sling? You have to have the right motive. You have to have the right motive. When you have the right motive, it moves you to action. Watch this in verse 24 to 26. There's going to be two motives that are going to be shared. And I want you to guess what the two motives are. Verse 24. All of the men of Israel, when they saw the man, Goliath, fled from him and were much afraid. the men of Israel said, Have you seen this man who has come up? Surely he has come up to defy Israel, and the king will enrich the man who kills him with great riches, and will give him his daughter and make his father's house free in Israel. And David said to the men who stood by him, What shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? And the people answered him the same way, so that shall be done to the man who kills him. There's two motives going on here. Number one motive, and I guarantee you this is the most of the motive we use to ever make a choice. The first motive is this. What's in this for me? They said, if you kill Goliath, what do you get? The king's riches and his, and his daughter. David will realize that doesn't turn out to be that good of a deal, his first daughter, but anyhow, he that, that in their mind, Saul's trying to get them motivated. If you kill Goliath, you will get my riches, okay, so what we do with what's in this for me is we do cost cost al- analysis. it's called return on investment. all right, so either I fight Goliath, which is probably certain death he's nine feet nine, or I get riches. what's their choice based on verse twenty four They ran <laughs> this didn't that stopped their motivation. most of us always make choices on. It, what, what will I get out of this if I do it? If I become a, man, if I become a teacher, or if I lead a group, or if I reach out to my friends, what's going to happen? Nine times out of ten, fear tells you that the risk is too high. Fear does. To your unsanctified imagination, we really don't think God's for us. So we see the fear and we quit because the risk is too high. I don't want to be embarrassed. I don't want to be ridiculed. I'll be a failure. I'll fail. I remember my preaching teacher said, the reason people don't preach is because they have fear of man. They think men are actually just evaluating. And you know what? People just, they don't really evaluate like you, you think they do. They really don't. What was David's motivation? One thing. Look at verse 26. He says, what shall be done for the man who who takes away the reproach from Israel? What does that mean? What that means is the Philistines are embarrassing the name of Israel. Why is that so bad? Because God's name's on his people. In other words, his motive is to fight for the glory of God. Look at verse 46. It basically supports what I say. Verse 46, David finally goes to fight him. Listen to what he says to Goliath. This day... The Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you down and cut off your head. And I will give the dead bodies of the host of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air and the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know what? There's a God. Why is David fighting? Is he fighting for his own self, or is he fighting for the name of God? If you do things for the glory of God, it gives you unbelievable motivation and you start to not care what people think and that fear becomes nothing but most of the time so the second motive is how do I bring God glory most of the time we we operate out of the first motive and it stops us dead fear kills us So so what matters to you more what's in it for me or how do I bring God glory the choice is yours why do you do what you do Why do you do what you do? I want recognition. I want want money. I want people to think I'm something. Or do I do it because God's gifted me in this, and I'm just going to bring them glory? Third step, number three, very important. Don't allow the negativity of others to stop you. Man, are people negative. Whenever you step out, people criticize and everything. Look at verse 27 to 33. Verse 27, well, verse 28. Now Eliab, his oldest brother, heard when David spoke to the man, and Eliab's anger was kindled against David. So Eliab, the oldest son, who's probably bigger, better looking, stronger than David, was jealous. He said, why why have you come down? And with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know your presumption and evil of your heart, for you have come down to see the battle. I know. He's judging the wrong motives of David. People will always do that to you. Expect it. Expect it. Verse 27, David said, what have I done? (laughs) I haven't done anything. Was it not but a word? And he turned away from him toward another and spoke in the same way, and the people answered him again as before. Verse 31, when the words that David spoke were heard, they repeated them before Saul, and he sent for him, David said to Saul, let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. And Saul said to David, the king said to David, You're not able to go against the Philistine to fight with him. For you're but a youth. He's been a man of war. You have no chance. Don't allow negativity to stop you. Why do people's opinions matter so much? Why? They do. I don't know what I don't understand. They're just somebody's opinion. Listen to Teddy Roosevelt. It's not the critic who counts. Not the man who points out how strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done better. The credit belongs to the man who's actually in the arena, whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood, who strives valiantly, who errs, who comes short again and again, who at the best knows in the end the triumph of high achievement, and at the worst, if he fails, at least he fails while daring greatly. I read this quote last week. Children throw stones at the tree with the most fruit. Step four. Remember, remember what God has already done. I love love this part of the story. David is standing before King Saul. King Saul looks him over and belittles him, gives him no chance. Man, if that was me, I'd be done. Okay, I'll see you. The king thinks I'm no good. The coach thinks I stink. My teacher thinks I'm stupid. I'm, I'm done. David doesn't cower. Why not? Because he knows what the real king thinks and has done for him. Look at verse 34 to 37. Verse 34. But David said to Saul, Your servant used to keep sheep for his father, and when, they, and when there came a lion or a bear, so when David was keeping sheep, he would have mountain lions come down and bears. Actually, I did some research, and they said, really, during Alexander the Great Time, he even recorded a ton of different lions that lived in the area. They were shorter and fatter, but just as fierce as African lions. And they had a lot of mountain lions, too. It says, I went after him. Oh, and when there came a lion or a bear, took a lamb from the flock, I went after him and struck him and delivered it out of his mouth. So he's used to using a sling, and if he rose against me, I caught him by his beard and struck him and killed him. So he'd grab a lion and jab him with a knife. Your servant has struck down both lions and bears, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them, for he has defied the armies of the living God. David said, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of the Philistine. And I like Saul's reaction. Saul said, ah, Okay, <laughs> Go. what do you say to a kid who's killed lions and bears? Oh, okay, yeah, go. Yeah, go. You're (laughs) better than me. I would love to see David's face at that moment and hear his conviction because it's rare to meet somebody that believes in God so much. It's rare to meet somebody that believes in God so much. Turn to 2 Corinthians. This is an amazing verse. I want you to notice this. And I'll tell you what. Here's your homework. Memorize this all week long. First Corinthians chapter one, nine and ten. It is so powerful. First Corinthians, chapter or second Corinthians, second Corinthians chapter one, nine and ten. So it says, Paul's writing about all the afflictions that he's gone through delivering the gospel when he got stoned, shipwrecked, all that. It says, indeed, we felt that that we had received the sentence of death, but that was to make us rely not on ourselves but on God who raises the dead. Now listen to verse 10. He delivered us from such deadly peril, and he will deliver us. On him we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. He's saying in the past, past tense, he's delivered us out of unbelievable peril. Has he delivered you out of unbelievable things? He has me. I can't even tell you how many times. He's overcome everyone. And then he says, in the future, he will deliver us. If he did it in the past, Paul says he'll do it again. God's desire, listen to this, God's desire to come to our rescue is never exhausted. He doesn't get tired of us calling on him. He's not like a normal parent. How many times had to tie your shoes? My my dad, that was one thing I'd say about my dad. My dad always served us, and especially my sister Tammy. My oldest sister was the worst driver he ever saw. She had my dad would let her borrow the station wagon because it kind of already looked like a junkyard derby car. But he let her borrow it because he knew she'd get an accident. She always got an accident. She'd call up, "Hey, Dad? Yeah? You out of gas? No, I'm stuck on a tree. Okay." He'd run, and he'd go get her. I can remember it was in the middle of a Cleveland blizzard, and he said, hey, Chris, hop in the car. Hey, hop in the car. We put our dog, Buff, and we drove to the slick patch of ice, and sure enough, Tammy's in a ditch. My dad jumps out, chewing on a toothpick. Hey, let's all call the tow truck. I know the guy. Like, he was always there. He never got tired of Tammy calling. He didn't say, you stupid girl. God doesn't do that with us. He always wants to rescue us. And then the rest of the verse says, This is present tense. On Him, right now, we have set our hope. Set means I'm standing on ground of hope. I know no matter what, He'll rescue me. That's the point. We go back to 1 Samuel again, look at verse 37. It's exactly the same verse. Verse 37. And David said, The Lord who delivered me in the past, from the paw of the lion, from the paw of the bear, will deliver me. <laughs> it's exactly the same thing. Step five. Step five is very hard. Don't be someone you're not. You, this is, this is Kim Ferguson uh, terminology, you be you. Did you ever hear Kim say that, <laughs> You be you. It's so true, though. Don't be someone you're not. Do be you. You be you. Look at verse 38. Then Saul clothed David with his armor. So that's all Saul knows, this hand-to-hand combat. Gives him a helmet of bronze, puts it on his head, clothed him with the coat of mail. David strapped his sword over his armor and tried in vain to go, for he had not tested them. Then David said to Saul, I can't go with these. I've not tested them. And he's artillery. So David put them off. And he took his staff in his hand and chose five stones from the brook, put them in his shepherd's pouch, his sling was in his hand, he approached the Philistine. He did it He did it his way. When you try to do something new for God, people advise you to do it like someone else or themselves, the way they've always done it. It's funny, I was talking with Paul Slaughter about preaching. He goes, I don't like I like PowerPoint, but I don't like it. I feel freer without it. And I said, don't do it. Yeah, but you do it. I do it because I see things in pictures. That's the only reason I do it. I I first put together my slides because that's how I see it. I see it that way. And actually, some people are like, why do you use slides all the time? Because it's kind of how I think. It's who I am. And I realize that's the only way I know how to do it. But we have this strange tendency to judge the way we do things by the way other people do things. You do it the way you're meant to be. It's funny. In a way, Michelle didn't want to be a pastor's wife at all. She didn't want me to be a pastor because she says, I can't, I can't be like other pastors' wives. And I looked at her in the face. I said, that's exactly why I married you. If that doesn't make sense, you'll understand what I mean by that. I like the way she is. She doesn't need to be somebody else. Neither do you. You be you. So in conclusion, number one, David didn't let the size of Goliath stop him. Didn't let fear stop him. Number two, he was motivated for God's glory. Number three, he didn't listen to naysayers. Number four, he remembered what God already did, the lion. And he fought the way that he knew he could have success. So let's see how he did. Start in verse 41. Philistine moved forward, came near to David. The shield bearer. The Philistine looked and saw David. He disdained him, for he was but a youth, ruddy and handsome in appearance. And the Philistine said to David, again, Schwarzenegger, am I a dog? That you come to meet me with sticks? The Philistine cursed David by his gods. Philistine said to David, come to me. I will give your flesh to birds of air and beasts of fields. Let's fight hand to hand. And David said to the Philistine, You come to me with sword and with spear and with javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, who you've defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand. I'll strike you down. And this is not the precious moments version. I'll cut off your head. And I will give you the dead bodies of the host of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air and the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know there is a God. That all the assembly may know that the Lord saves not with sword or spear. For the battle is the Lord's. He will give you into our hand. When the Philistine arose and came and drew near to meet David, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet the Philistine. David put his hand in his bag, took out a stone, slung it, and struck the Philistine on his forehead. The stone sunk into his forehead. He fell on his face to the ground. So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling, with a stone, struck the Philistine, killed him. There was no sword in the hand of David. Then David ran, stood over the Philistine, took his sword, drew it out of its sheath, killed him, cut off his head. When the Philistines saw their champions dead, they fled. And the men of Israel then took over. David kept some of his gear as a trophy. Saul said in verse 58, who is this guy? You'll surprise people when you do things for God. So, what is your fear? What is it? What is your sling? What's your gift? And what does God want you to do? What is your fear? What is your gift? And what does God want you to do? Here's what you need to do. Just do it. Don't let fear stop you. Just do it. I posted online this thing with Shay LeBeau about, Do it! Did you ever see that, Luke? <laughs> so stupid. I posted it. Anybody you guys watch that when I posted. it? He gets up there and he says, Just do it! And he goes, and he says this, Don't let your dreams be dreams. Yesterday you said tomorrow. So just do it! Make your dreams come true. Some people dream of success while well, you're going to wake up and work hard. Nothing's impossible. So you get to the point where anyone else would quit and you're not going to stop there what are you waiting for just do it you got to watch it and you'll understand have you ever seen it jared it's so ridiculous so stupid it's so dumb like what's wrong with him he's really psychotic and so am i a little bit anyhow but I would rather just use David's words. Listen to David's words. For the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hands. So, what say you?